You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Welcome to the Seeking Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Crankfield, and am absolutely delighted to have with me today our first, well, first recorded guest, if you don't count Father Meyer, which I don't really count Father Meyer as like a pure guest, but we have with us Victoria Tori Sanders, who's on our blog team at Seeking Excellence. She's an incredible writer, extremely creative, much more creative than I am and just a wonderful human being, also better at being a human being than I am. So, Tori, it's great to have you with us here today. <laughs> well, that is very kind of you, Nathan. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. So, first, let's, let's get into a little bit of just your life story. So, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about you. I know we have a lot of great things to talk about, especially in regards to your experience with sports and your journey with your faith and, you know, just some of our past conversations that we've had and projects that we've worked on for your blog and stuff like that. But, uh, first, if you would, just give a little bit of your background, like your story, where you're from, who you are. Yeah, so like Nathan said, my name is Tori Sanders. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, from a small suburb uh, called St. Charles, and I was born and raised there. I went to uh, an all-girls high school called Incarnate Word Academy and just grew up playing sports, uh, mostly basketball and soccer, and then really soccer as I got into high school. And then I went to Benedictine College, Go Ravens and um, graduated in May of 2019 and then moved to the Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky area uh, to work out here. So um, my fiance just moved out here a few months ago and we'll be getting married in November of this year in about three months. So those are pretty much the highlights there. Not sure if you're looking for anything else. That's big. No, big Seth. Yeah, he's the man. So that's awesome to hear. Benedictine. I like the little shout out, I like the little Go Ravens there. Oh, that's, always. Yeah. That'll make, that'll make the people happy. That's yep. what they needed to hear. Yep. So that's excellent. No, I really appreciate that. And so it's really cool. So Tori and I, we've gotten to know each other as we worked together for the last year. And uh, yeah, it's just been awesome just to, to get to know you and, and learn more about your story and your life. So yeah, so I think the the athlete, you know, that kind of that kind of identity and your journey with that is what we really want to talk about today. So let's let's get into some of that stuff and just kind of yeah dissect that and just discuss that. Because I think we both have a lot of similar experience. My background in the military and dealing with the the just the journey of an identity, you know, and how much something like that, which is it's really interesting. I think because it's like an honorable cause, right? And it's an honorable thing. It's very, I mean, both both have in common that they're very praised by society. You know, like it's cherished and um, very well respected to be an athlete when you're in college or to be in the military, just in general life, you know, like people really um, respect and admire people who do those things. And so I think that it's easy for people to really start to adopt that as our primary identity. And we know that as sons and daughters of God, that we're called to be Catholics first and that our faith is supposed to be our primary identity. And I think that a lot of the problems that we're seeing today, you know, in, in politics and in society is, is kind of rooted in the fact that people are mistaking their identity or at least their identities are kind of out of order, you know? So what has kind of been your journey as somebody who was uh, an athlete, but also serious in your faith. And then kind of as, as you transition out of being an athlete into the working world, like how have you, how have you remained Tory Sanders? Yeah. Well, I think it's a good, um, it's a good thing to point out just that in general, I think society has, not even thinking about sports or profession or anything, just in general, we're often confused about 
where we find our identity, where we look to for our identity, um, where we even start when we're trying to figure out what our identity is. But like you said, as Catholics, we believe that our identity are as, as, um, as children of God, and that's where it all starts and everything stems from there. Um, so what really struck me whenever um, you and I did an interview, whenever I had interviewed you for, um, for my article that I wrote, um, was one thing you said as advice that you would give to other soldiers would be to recognize that you are not, you are a soldier, but you're first a man or a woman, and then you're also a soldier on top of that. So recognizing um, what comes first and what comes second and playing soccer throughout high school and then especially at, um, at Benedictine in college. Um, I think that's something that really, really stuck out to me going through um, obviously my time playing soccer there and then um, ending up being injured my junior and senior year. I think after going through that experience, it kind of slaps you in the face that um, you have to be more than an athlete and that can't be your only identity because um, what you can control is, uh, is very, very small. There are so many things that we kind of depend on and associate with um, that we actually don't have any control over. So I think that's something to, to keep in mind that when we're looking for our identity, we have to look to, sub, to some place that, um, that's outside of our control and that's stable no matter what. And that is, um, that is our faith and that is our relationship with, with our Father, with God. Absolutely. And I think, I think you really hit on something that's important there is that stability. You know, and there's so many things that are changing in our lives and in the world. But I want to go back to something else I think that really stuck out when you were talking about that and just having that, what I shared with you when we did the, the interview for the article is, is that we're first and foremost a man or a woman. You know, mm -hmm. we're first and foremost Catholics or Christians and uh, just how important that is. But I think one of the things I think gets really lost in our lives or, or one of the things that misleads a lot of people when it comes to identity is the fact that from a very early age, you get asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. And that's what like your primary identity is. Instead of asking people, who do you want to be when you grow up? You mm -hmm. know, who do you want yeah. to become? Who's the person that you want to be? And so what has been kind of your journey with that? Like, how have you developed or grown? Or can you think back to when you were a kid? And was there a shift in your life or a point in time that you can, or even a period of time that you can point back to and say, right. this is when I really started to think, think in regards to who I want to become and not just what I do yeah. because that's one of the biggest shifts I think when it comes to having an aspect like sports or the military or it could be other achievements of some sort that people do like really attribute or, or make their primary identity or their primary aspect of their person. I think that there's a big shift when you start to think of who am I versus what do I do mm -hmm. as the primary thing. Yeah yeah for sure. I think one thing that was really good for me growing up is that my parents always really focused on teaching me the intangibles versus the tangibles. And that's like a big word for like a little kid, but I, I remember is, being, yeah. having that explained to me as a little kid of like, some things are tangible and some things are intangible. And so the intangibles are the things that you're good at, no matter what your hobby is or your sport is or your job is or anything. And so that was always put first before anything that I did on the field or the classroom or anything else. Um, so I think that's a good place to start. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad to ask kids, you know, what they want to be when they grow up or to ask them to dream about some sort of like tangible goal. But I think it's more about connecting that with what goes on um, in your brain whenever you're done with the hobby or you're done with the sport and recognizing that um, it's always good to have a tangible goal and work towards it. But at the end of the day, um, when you have a bad day or when you fail or when you inevitably don't live up to what you would like to live up to, you're still a child of God and your identity as a child of God, um, as weird as it might be to accept, is not dependent on anything that you do. Um, and once you realize that it's not dependent on anything you do, you realize how lucky you are to have that and you just want to be even better because you want to live up to the identity that you have. Um, so I think that that's like a good place to start and just realizing that um, when you ask kids questions like that, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, it should be an exciting question and not like an obligatory question of like, oh, I have to do this or I have to be this um, because your identity or your worth isn't going to be changed by what the outcome is. Right. And I think as we as we help young people, you know, as future parents or even just with nieces and nephews and cousins and things like that, or just as we speak to younger generations, mm -hmm. the important thing when you get the answer to that question of what do you want to be when you grow up? is to dig deeper and start to understand the reasons why they might be saying what they're picking out. You know, cause I remember yeah. mine, like I was 10 years old and I wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to be on a SWAT team. Right. Mm -hmm. and I, I wanted to prove myself physically. Mm -hmm. I wanted to help people. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be 
dangerous and capable and I wanted to lead and I wanted to help solve problems, you know, mm-hmm. for people. And, and that's what I get to do now, you know, yeah. and, and I've started to do that through ministry as opposed to doing it through, uh, you know, service in, in the police force somehow, but just started to dig deeper and really starting to figure out that why, mm-hmm. you know, I think and just helping people to get to the point of they have to shift, you know, like Simon Sinek start in, in the book, start with why, and I'm going to do multiple podcasts on this later, but mm-hmm. the book start with why it talks about starting with your why and then going out to the how and then to the what. And I think right. a lot of times people just like, we don't like to think too deeply. People don't like to reflect very deeply. They don't like to uh, challenge other people to think deeply and, and kind of go into the root of, of somebody's answer to a question or somebody's problem. Mm-hmm. But the more that we're able to do that, I think you really start to understand yourself better. You start to understand your life better is why am I here? You know, and, and instead of just like, what should I do today? Like, that's a very simple question to answer. Right. But when you can start to think like, why am I here? What is my purpose? How can I accomplish that purpose? Yeah. And that, that's, I think something you hit on that's so important is that what is your purpose that you can accomplish no matter what your, your situation is, you know, because mm-hmm. that's how you see people thrive when you think about like, um, I, 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 the name's escaping me right now of the, the effect or the, 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 the um, Admiral in the Navy uh, Stockdale, Admiral Stockdale. Have uh-huh. you ever heard of him? I haven't. So Admiral Stockdale in the Navy. Oh my gosh, that's a good story. So he was captured in uh, the Vietnam War and was put in a prisoner of war camp, a POW mm-hmm. camp, and it was brutal. And he just kind of talked about um, how, how just how brutal it was and just how many people really fell off and just mm-hmm. like stood no chance. And they asked him like, what made the difference in the guys who survived and the guys who didn't? And he said the optimists were the ones who didn't survive. Mm-hmm. You know, and he talks about how because they kept wow. like fault, like faking themselves out thinking, Oh, we'll be home by Christmas. Then Christmas will come and go, Oh, we'll be home by Easter. Mm-hmm. Then Easter will come and go, Oh, we'll be home by, you know, summertime, yeah. summertime will come and go. And they would just get devastated and fall into deep despair and be hopeless. And it's just really rough, you know? But I think when you have, when you think about like a St. Maximilian Colby, which we're recording this on his feast day, which is super awesome. Mm-hmm. When you think about somebody like that, like why was he able to thrive in Auschwitz? Because his purpose was still capable. He was still cap- capable of achieving his purpose while he was in Auschwitz. Yeah. And his purpose was to be a saint. Yeah. And when your purpose is, is holiness and it's personal freedom and it's virtue, you're not restricted by your external circumstances to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. You can do that no matter where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that's something I've thought a lot about uh, with regard to sports and um, with injuries, I tore my ACL and whenever I tore my ACL, everything that I was planning on with soccer and with my junior year and my senior year was dependent on like one ligament and one knee. Mm. And so like all of my plans were as strong as one ligament and one knee. And that's like not very strong as I've learned. It (laughs) can tear pretty easily. So I think, um, I think that's true for, (laughs) for injuries. Um, I mean, right now we're in the middle of, of the coronavirus. I mean, there are so many things that you can't count on. Uh, and so just to reiterate what you said, any plans that we make or any goals that we have, um, are great, but they should always be contingent on like the goal that we can never have taken away from us. And that's the goal of holiness and the goal of sainthood. And honestly, when it comes to sainthood or holiness, I mean, we should like welcome suffering cause that's going to make us even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I might, you know, this is the kind of thing you like regret saying later, but when it comes to suffering, you should like pray for suffering. You should ask for it and you should pray prayers like the, the litany of humility or those really, really tough prayers to pray because um, the result of that is, are going to be answered prayers and those are going to be challenges and that's what's going to make you so much better. Um, and that's what we want. If that's our, our goal is holiness and sainthood. Um, it's all about getting to that point where you're not afraid to ask for suffering because that's what's happened to the, the heroes of the church is that they had a lot of suffering. Right. Absolutely. And, and I always think that's important, important to point out to people is just that we look up to people who suffer well. You know, yeah. those are the people that we call heroes. Those are the people yeah. we erect statues of and remember. For sure. I think what, what you're talking about, I 100% agree with you. I think it's really interesting, though. It's one thing to talk about suffering well. It's one thing to talk about expecting the unexpected or dealing with the unexpected with grace. But what was it like, like that second time you tore your ACL? Like, but in the moment... You know what I mean? It's a whole different ball game. Like yeah. in, in the, like, talk to me about like, what was the disappointment of that moment? Like, and like, how did you actually, like, what was your journey? Was it like the next day you were able to be optimistic about it? Like mm-hmm. months later, years later, like, what was that? What was yeah. that process like? Yeah, I think, well, kind of some backstory to give it context. I remember in, um, in seventh grade, one of our assignments for English was to write like our first research report and we could write it on anything. 
um, and this is ironic now, but like my first big like writing assignment ever, my mom had been at the library and just like picked up some books for suggestions of topics to write about. And one of the books that she picked and the one I ended up writing about was about ACL injuries in women and female athletes. And so in wow. seventh grade, my first like paper I ever wrote, like big paper, it was about ACL injuries in women. Your future. Uh, yeah, sadly. And As um, a woman. <laughs> Yes. And so I like I have a vivid memory of reading that book that I used as like a, a reference for my paper. And it described this girl, like the opening story of the book was describing this girl who had um, it like opened with the scene of her tearing her ACL for the second time. So she had already torn it once. And the second time she tore it, it describes like this super like emotional, frustrated reaction, not because it like hurt physically, but just because of how frustrating it was and how much um, oh, suffering yeah. she knew she would have to go through. And so <laughs> in seventh grade, I was like, man, sounds like that would be the worst. Like, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Too bad that happened. Worst to her. case scenario yeah. identified <laughs> at age 12. Yeah. And, um, but then I went and I played soccer at Benedictine and I played freshman year and sophomore year. And it was just like so much fun. Like I loved it. Something about playing in college was like the most fun I'd ever had playing soccer. And then in the fourth game of my junior year, I tore it for the first time. And obviously was a, a tough recovery, just a long recovery, not because it, it doesn't really hurt that bad physically. I mean, it hurts, but the worst part isn't that you're just in so much pain physically. It's more just like, wow, it's been four months and I'm still not better. Or like, wow, mm -hmm. it's been five months and I'm still not better. Or, it's been six months and I'm better, but like, I'm still scared because I don't know if it could tear again because of how easy it was for that to happen the first time. Um, but I rehabbed in um, technically to get back to playing sports, it should be about six months. I had longer than that just because it wasn't time for the season to start. So it had been about 10 months, I believe, until we went back to play. And, um, and so it was the first game. I'm sorry, it wasn't the first game of the season. It was our alumni game. So um, not even like a real season game, but like real enough that you have like a warm up and you're kind of like getting back into the groove of the right. season. And so I got to start. And but it's still preseason. It's still preseason. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Still preseason. So after like two weeks of two days and which were like so fun, like I was just so excited to play again. And um, so I still remember it was the 23rd minute of the game and I just went up for a header and I just landed kind of funny. And it was like the most anticlimactic thing that's ever happened. Like it wasn't like the book I read in seventh grade where you're just like so frustrated and you know exactly what happened. Mm. Like I just remember I landed and I was like, well, that feels kind of weird. Like something must be like weird with my knee. Like it might be good to go out and ice it. And I didn't even like ask to come out because it didn't hurt the second time. Um, but my trainer kind of like noticed me running weird. And so he me off and he was like what are you doing and i was like i don't know it just feels weird <laughs> and so, then so many right yeah and so he did all the tests and everything and it really was it was like the most anticlimactic like well like we don't know for sure that it's torn like it's probably not almost like the optimist thing like i was like well i'm just not really going to think about it a whole lot like it'll be fine it'll be fine we'll right. see and then i kind of got to the point where i was like it could actually be torn again like we're actually a little bit worried about that and that was my senior year so that was the the second time Dang. and if it was it's your senior year like you don't have time to rehab and yeah. come back and play at all so um at some point i don't think i was in the training room i think he just called me and i think that's kind of when it hit me of like i'm never gonna play soccer again like i'm never like you can play in like a rec league or whatever Right. And there's nothing wrong with the rec league, but after having soccer be like from society, having soccer be the measure of your identity or the measure of your worth or the measure of um, how good you are or how hard of a worker you are. Um, it's just kind of placed as this, like sports are the big thing. Like if you play sports, like you're automatically it's like, like the foundation of who yeah. you are. Yeah. It's the foundation of who you are. It's kind of like the foundation of all of the feedback you've ever gotten. So any like yeah. praise or any criticisms or anything, it's all revolving around soccer. So at that point, again, nothing wrong with a rec league, but the suggestion of like, Oh, why don't you just like play rec league? Like after you're done with college, it's like, no, I don't want to go play rec yeah. league. Like I want to go play college soccer because that's what I worked my whole life to do. Yeah. And so kind of realizing that that wasn't an option anymore. And to do that, like, with a crowd and with a jersey and with like the teammates who are really good the school that you love yeah. like all these teammates who are like so much better than i am and i get to play with them 
Um, and so I think that was the hardest part as the season went on is to yeah. be surrounded by people who I knew would make me so much better if I were on the field, right. but instead you're on the bench and you're still with people on the bench who are going to make you so much better, but it just takes a little bit, a little while to realize that and like start paying attention to them and not just the people that you're like watching on the field. Right. That's wild. And I think, you know, I, and I assume that at that point in your life, you're a senior at Benedictine, like you were still pretty, you were pretty strong in your faith at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so what was the, like, did you have any, like, angry prayer time? Like, mm-hmm. were you pretty mad at God for the situation um, happening? Or did you never really look at it in that, mm-hmm. in that way? That's a great question. I think, I think my, like, angry time was probably more, like, junior year after I tore it the first time. Uh, because that was the first time, like, in my life that I hadn't had soccer for, like, the 10 months or whatever since I, like, got to go back and play that second game. Right. Um. So I think that was the hard part. And there are a lot of relationships where they were fine, but they just like weren't great. And I couldn't figure out why. And it was like all these other little things weren't going well. And all these other little things were frustrating or making me angry. And it's because I didn't have the outlet of sports and I had never not had the outlet of sports. So when I didn't have that anymore and I couldn't like go on the field and like hit somebody, I was like, well, who am I supposed to hit? (laughs) I'm angry and I don't know what to do. And, um, so I think that was really the frustrating time. And, um, so I think that was definitely a journey of working back towards, okay, we're healing physically, we're healing emotionally, spiritually, mentally, like all throughout that first, um, that first injury. So when I came back to school my senior year and I tore it the second time, I remember that, um, I was still dealing with a lot of like hurt from other things that had been going on junior year. Um, it was just a, a tougher year. And so I remember the week after I tore it the second time. So after I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to be able to play soccer anymore. I got a call from one of the juniors on the soccer team who was actually the one who was going to take my spot. So like, this just shows you what a good teammate she is. Um, and I got a talk, a call from one of the juniors on the soccer team. And she, she was like, Tori, there's like, and like classic Benedictine, she was like, there's this like healing guy here. Like he heals people. Wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, yeah, like this healing ministry. And he like, he just like, he's been healing people in the calf and all these different, like you should come here and maybe he can heal you. And it was kind of like a more charismatic, like, right. um, I don't know if seminar is the right word, but he was just giving a talk and he was the super cool, like super interesting guy. And so I like rushed over to the room wherever he was and I talked to him and so they prayed over me and did the whole like heal her knee, whatever. And then they'd be like, do you feel anything? Do you feel anything? I was like, I don't think so. Like it feels like I've never been healed before. Well, I don't let's know try again. Like. Like, do you feel anything? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And that, I think that was probably one of the hardest moments because up until that point, I was like, there's no hope of it being healed. So I can kind of come to terms with it. Right. But then all of a sudden I had this hope. And then the hope like went away again. Healer. And so like physically I was not healed and that was like really, really tough. Um, but like a year, I guess it's been about a year and a half since that, Yeah. since that happened. And in the year and a half I've been healed in so many other ways. Mm. And so I think I've kind of realized to tie in the spiritual part to answer your question. Um, realizing that when we ask for healing like number one we have to want it like there's a question jesus asks like do you want to be well like you have to say yes like sometimes it's comfortable to not be well like sometimes it's comfortable to be like the injured one and get the attention or get like Mm -hmm. um the sympathy that we feel like we need so number one you have to want to be healed and then after i wanted to be healed just accepting like jesus knows the ways that i need to be healed and i don't and my senior year I wasn't supposed to be healed and play soccer again, but I got so many other things back that I wasn't expecting to get back. Like those right. are the ways that I was healed. Um, so I think that was a really good spiritual realization of like, even though I was on crutches and even though I was still hurt, like when I was showing up to mass every day, like God was still working on me. It yeah. just wasn't like in the tangible ways that I wanted. It was in a lot of intangible ways that I like didn't know I needed, but I did. Yeah. It's such a beautiful way to think about, putting things into perspective and the sacraments and just all the things that we're, we have access to, you know, in the spiritual mm-hmm. life. Cause what it makes me think about is the, you know, the story where Jesus heals the, one of the lame men mm-hmm. in front of the Pharisees and he comes up and he says, 
your faith is saved you, your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And they're like, who can forgive sins? You know what I mean? And he's like, what's easier to forgive sins or to say, rise up, take your mat mm-hmm. and wall. Wow. Yeah. You know? And it's like, would that guy have been mad mm-hmm. had his sins been forgiven, but he wasn't healed? Mm-hmm. Cause he probably came to be healed physically. Yeah. You know, and so like it's the same thing in our lives. People are constantly praying for things. We're constantly praying for miracles or gifts or whatever it might be. Yeah. Healings. And it's like, okay, well, are you grateful for what we do have? You know, because it's yeah. so easy. Even, I mean, like life at Benedictine, I'm sure you could acknowledge was like probably pretty good. You yeah. know, like one of my things when I was at Mount St. Mary's, like I, I, I went to ranger school. I was at ranger school. Uh, what was it? Like seven months after I graduated from college, mm-hmm. eight months. And I'm like, I remember saying, uh, it was like my third week there that I'm like, okay, my best day at Ranger School was worse than my worst day at Mount St. Mary's. Wow. You know, and you get like things that's like that crazy. where it puts your life into perspective, totally. you know? Yeah. And that's what I think is beautiful about experiencing injury like that. And there's yeah. so much beauty in our downtimes, in our times of pain or failure, isolation, whatever it might be, where you really get to put your life into perspective and mm-hmm. get to put our faith, the beauty of our faith the beauty of the experience that we get to have uh, what we talked about in the interview, like just the value of being Americans. Yeah. What we have access to and, oh, and totally, what we have available yeah. to us is it's so big, yeah. you know? And so I think it's awesome that that was able to kind of restructure yeah. things and put it into perspective. Yeah, for, you. for sure. It's really, really important. For sure. Yeah. So praise God for that. I think that's big. And so, and you know, for me, like I never experienced any like major injuries in my life, but mine was more like personal failure, you know? And so I, I want to talk about that a little bit and just like how hard it can be when you have a setback that, because it's one thing and it's easier, I think, to blame God in times where it's out of your control, like your injury was. Right. And my, you know, my biggest failures, I, I know my, my biggest setbacks came through Ranger School and going there and, and range school is one of those things, especially when you're an infantry officer where it's like, you're expected to graduate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you are expected to do this and you're going to be dogged if you, if you don't, you know, right. they always say my, uh, my old battalion commander, Lieutenant Colonel Kearney used to always say that you leave, you either leave ranger school with a tab or an excuse. Wow. You know, there's no oh other gosh. way. And That's so it's pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot bigger than a soccer, soccer team. <laughs> it's a hard thing, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like the first phase is like a 50% pass rate. Right. And you're like, wow, you know, I mean, they're going to leave with a tab or an excuse. It's a lot of, it's mm-hmm. a high standard, high expectations. Yeah. And so to fail that and like to look back and be like, you know, I had my, my first time that I failed in ranger school was on pushups and, you know, it probably surprises you like it surprised everybody that did that and I had I had you know like if anything you think like oh I'd probably struggle with the run or like the ruck or something like that but it was push-ups like of all things like my strength right <laughs> oh and my I had max push-ups in every PT test that I took from the age I was 19 up until that PT test that I failed push-ups on oh my gosh but they they grade ex, ex, like extremely differently yeah. you know so it, it life gets really hard I think whenever the harder the more outside of your control it feels the harder it is I think to accept the failure or the setback that you're dealing with but I think that there's something so valuable. And like, I got to, I love those moments. And, and one of the most beautiful things about my failure the first time, well, the time that I failed pushups. And then when I went to actual ranger school, I got recycled in the mountain phase, which wasn't a failure, but I had to do it again. So it was still kind of, you know, I failed the phase, but I wasn't like completely dropped. Mm-hmm. But the first time I failed, it was in pre-ranger. And so I was like getting set home and like about to have to go to my duty station without my ranger tap. And so it was a real bummer, but it was like, man, like I, I, I can do the push-ups, you know, like it was literally like a week prior to it that I had done 75 push-ups in two minutes and now I couldn't get 49. Like it's a lower, wow. a lower number, but a yeah. higher standard. And they yeah. grade very like specifically and mm-hmm. you really don't know what your grade is going to be looking for. And so it's, wow. it's a tough thing, but it just, one thing that was really uh, gratifying for me was just realizing how much my identity was in my faith because mm-hmm. I wasn't super rattled by it. Like I didn't leave and think, man, I suck. Like I am worthless. Like, I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. I left and I thought, man, that, that really sucked. That experience sucked, but I was yeah. able to separate the experience that I'd had from my actual identity, from yeah. my personal worth and my self image was able to survive because of how much I had allowed God to really shape the way that I viewed myself at that time. Yeah. You know, so yeah. what, what have you done in your life? Like what's kind of been your journey, I guess, to, especially kind of as you transitioned out of that, you know, and, and you were forced to transition out of it early. So, in an unexpected time. Cause one thing it's, it's hard for an athlete to leave when you graduate from college or your season's ending, you know, it's the last game of the season. It's like, Oh, it's sad. You know, like it's a sad right. time. It's the last right. time in the stadium, whatever. But when you have an unexpected, like you had to push your timeline up early without, mm-hmm. you know, any preparation, but mm-hmm. how did your, especially your prayer life and just your spiritual journey up to that point, how did that help you to 
really make that transition unexpectedly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is just that I don't think I've really figured it out yet. I think it's one of those things that, like you said, is, is definitely a journey and it takes time and the challenges one day might be different than the challenges the next day. So um, I mean, right now, again, kind of alluding to coronavirus, and there are so many athletes who kind of had the same thing where all of a sudden they just didn't get a senior season. And yeah, I like I think about them all the time because four months out might be more difficult than the week where you find out that you don't get to play anymore. And so it really is like it's a, a long journey. But I think when you when you're in the habit of recognizing that there are like game days on the field and there are important days when you are in ranger school or in preseason or whatever it might be like you're in the habit of saying like okay it's game day so i'm gonna eat this breakfast and i'm gonna do these little routines and i know how i act on game day and i think just in general like as a society we need more game days like we need more things Mm -hmm. that we want to like wake up early in the morning for and like get ready for and prepare for and that are worth like training for and making sure we're actually ready Um, I just think we need more game days. And I think that's the hardest part. And one of the reasons I say I haven't totally figured it out yet is because as someone who, whether I was injured or not, wouldn't be playing soccer anymore. um, It's hard to find game days. You know, it's, it could be little things like um, I've said this before, but it could be little things like, Oh, like how nice am I going to be to the lady at Walmart? Or like, am I going to have like too many pieces of candy or am I just going to have like one, like one piece of candy? And there are all those little decisions that really, really matter. But after coming from like a big game or like a stadium full of people, like that doesn't seem like a game day. Right. And so I think that's really the, the tension that I feel and that a lot of athletes feel and a lot of people who have ever done something where they felt they, their worth was found and then transitioning to not doing that thing anymore. It's like, okay, if I, if I take a second look at where my worth is found and what makes me important or what makes me valuable, um, recognizing what that is, like, where are the game days? Yeah. And like, honestly, those are really hard to find. Oh, for sure. So I think that's kind of the journey that I'm in right now. And that's the journey that we're all kind of in right now. Right. I think, you know, it's so interesting because what we talked about earlier of, with like the post-Olympic depression. And just the fact, you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So um, we were talking earlier. I saw um, an advertisement for a documentary on HBO. I think um, Michael Phelps is like a a big part of it on post-Olympic depression. I think it's called The Weight of Gold. And talking about how he... It is a catchy name. Yeah, very catchy name. Catchy name. That's a Tory Sanders thoughtful <laughs> name. Very creative um, with your title. Uh, I'm honored. I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, you Thank you very much. <laughs> but um, the the short little like commercial I saw for it was just talking about how Michael Phelps, who like keep in mind like won, like he didn't get injured, he didn't he took lose. Straight dubs. Yeah. Like he like he did everything he could have possibly done. And then talk like hearing him in the interview and the little commercial for it saying like every 80, I think it was 80% of athletes go through some sort of post-Olympic depression. Right. Um, And so like Michael Phelps is one. And after seeing that, I was like, oh my gosh, like how many athletes have I heard of who have struggled with um, like alcoholism, like Abby Wambach after she retired, really struggled with, struggled with alcoholism. Yeah. Um, We watched a documentary a few months ago on this guy named George Best. He used to be like this super good soccer player and he passed, he died from alcoholism um, after he was like literally like wow. the best soccer player. And um, Molly's Game, if you've ever seen the movie Molly's Game, there's a We watched skier. it together. We did watch it together. Um, named Molly Bloom and she was one of the best skiers, had like all this pressure. It's an R-rated film like, though. It is an so R-rated watch, film. So watch your children. Yeah, yeah watch, watch your our, children. That's our preview there. There you go. Tori Sanders out here watching R-rated films, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I had to cover her ears a few times, but, oh, and yeah. eyes. This one, the, this is the one R-rated film. I think you can watch. It's a great one. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. It's got your approval. <laughs> it's got my Tori Sanders approval. Um, but she was a skier and just her whole journey after she was injured skiing um really struck me because it's this like crazy crazy story of everything that she did but they like began and ended the movie with skiing because that's really where her heart was and that's where her identity was found and that's what she was still wrestling with um and so knowing that so many olympic athletes who were like the best of the best struggle with this and if the best of the best like the winners struggle with it like where does that leave the ones who lose 
or like, where does that leave the ones right. who are injured or don't get to finish or, um, it's just a, such a wide variety of like challenges. And I think, um, I think the thing we can take away from it is just recognizing that like the journey doesn't end the last time you like hang up your cleats or hang up your jersey or whatever. Like it's a whole new journey after that because it's a totally different life that you're going to learn how to live. Yeah. And you have to always find the next battle, the next mission, the yeah. next, yeah. The game yeah. day. I love that. I love that, that phrasing. Yeah. One question I, I, w- I want to ask that it, it's a little bit separate. This is just like a random thought that I just had. I love okay. asking people this <laughs> is, are you, would you say that you're, and maybe you're neither, I, I would assume you're at least one of them uh, like as, as a competitor, but I would say, are you, are you a Kobe Bryant competitive type person or a Michael Jordan competitive type person? And so have you watched any of the last dance? I watched, I didn't watch all of it, but I watched some of it. Okay. So like in the last dance, like you see Michael Jordan, like getting upset with like playing games, like flipping quarters, uh-huh. right? Like tossing quarters and like random stuff. Uh-huh. Kobe in an interview, uh, you know, talked about how he never wanted to play golf with Michael or any of those guys, because he's like, I'm not losing money or like getting worked up over some sport that I don't care huh. about. You know, he's like, wow. I get competitive about basketball. Hmm. He's like, I can lose at other things. He's like, it doesn't really bother me. But like Michael Jordan didn't want to lose at anything. Like, are you yeah. a competitive person that you really hate losing no matter what it is or are you more focused on certain specific things I don't know that's a really hard question um I think I would probably be more of the not that I'm less competitive but I think I'm more okay losing um because I one of the things I've learned about myself is that like no matter what game it is I like don't really pay attention to the standings (laughs) Right. Or like the score or especially yeah. like tennis or like anything where it's like weird. Sco- I mean, soccer is like pretty simple. You have like three it is, numbers yeah. at most. Um, but anything where you like really have to keep score or whenever we did get to like the national tournament for soccer, we did get farther along in the season and we're starting to do the math of like, okay, do we need to win this game in order to advance or anything? Right. I like never really kept track and I never really paid attention because I was like, well, like what game are we ever going to play where we don't want to win? So yeah, like it's not really like – it doesn't really matter. The standings don't matter. Like everything else that's going on doesn't matter. And if we lose one, like we'll just win the next one. So I think that's, I don't know. I, that's a hard question. I've never really thought about that one before, but I think I would probably more like if you lose, you just move on and try to win the next one because like, I genuinely just love playing so much Yeah. that it's more about like what happens from like the first whistle to the last whistle. And just, especially after like not being able to play, like it's more about just like being able to play. And if I lose one, like I'm just so happy to be able to like go back and try again the next time. Yeah. And there's so many, there's so many pros and cons to being one or the other, you know? And I think that, but one of the things I think is really important is for people to seek out whatever their game days are, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and just figuring out what that might be for you. And I know, like for me, I, I like, we talked about this earlier with random things like other podcasts and right. other blogs and things like that. And just thinking about the concept of like having worthy rivals, like people who yeah. really challenge you to be better mm-hmm. that you like, in a sense, want to beat. you know, in mm-hmm. the church world, it, it's a little trickier because you like, you want everybody to win. We're all on the same team, right? I never want right. to get to a point where I'm thinking of uh, another Catholic evangelist of any sort as competition, you know, right. like, I don't believe in that. Yeah. But you still have to have people that I think that you in a healthy way can like, not compare yourself to, but compete with, yeah. you know, and that could be a coworker. It can be a friend, you know, and you can do that in things like CrossFit. You can do that in things like personal growth and reading or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have, I make up little competitions and things when I'm working out in the gym by myself, you know, mm-hmm. to try to like get myself into like this game day mode. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things about like CrossFit type workouts. Cause I'm like, okay, like now I get to go into this dark place again and like really push myself, you <laughs> yeah. know, and like challenge myself and act yeah. like I'm competing against somebody, even though uh-huh. I'm really not, you know, yeah. but it kind of creates that that game day type mentality. And, and even when I'm like stretching and warming up, I'm thinking about that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how can we create that same type of mentality? Just like you said, of waking up excited, you know, yeah. like you wake up on game day and like, how can I do that on a Wednesday? Yeah. Like, what is my morning routine? Like, what is my warm up in the beginning of the day? Do I wake up and just rush out of the door? Or do I wake up early enough that I can have my coffee, you know, go through my schedule for the day, mm-hmm. read a little bit, pray a little bit, and then go execute my day. Cause it's, I mean, it's immensely different. It's, it's the same difference in doing that and intentionally going into your day as it is warming up before a game versus just showing up right on time and then running into it. Yeah. Right. Like that's how it yeah. feels like no, to totally. feel prepared is like to feel warmed up and to have a strategy and a game yeah. plan. And it's amazing how, how often we, we fail to take that same mentality of success uh-huh. that, you know, that works in this other field. And then right. we go into our lives and we just like, 
haphazardly do everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's really wild. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think there's a lot to be said for knowing, like, regardless of what the goal is, having, that's why sports are so important, I think, for kids to play or for anyone to play, is you just have someone else, like a leader or a coach or a superior, like someone, like some adult who's has more authority than you do. They just say, like, this is the goal, go for it. And then you don't have any say over what the goal is, you just go for it. And so as you get older, what you need to learn is how to pick the right goal. Mm-hmm. that's the part that you need to grow into. But once you learn how to pick the right goal, you already know how to get to it because that's what you've been trained to do your whole life. So I, I think see. there's a difference between like picking the right goal and right. then getting to the goal and you have to know how to do both. And something I think that mm-hmm. adults are, are, are typically bad at is still seeking out coaches. Mm, yeah. You know, like you don't, you still need mentors and people to help you to refine that. You know, like I'm sure that you don't do this. I know I don't just go out and make my goals exclusively by myself, right. you know, like you have to have good coaches, but you also have to have good teammates, yeah. you know, and have a good team around you in life the same way mm-hmm. that you did then. Like the same mentality, the same things that made you successful as a soccer player are making you successful in your work you're doing now are going to make you successful in your marriage, you know, and all these different things that you're right. going to do in your life. Yeah. And having those good people around you is so, is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your BLE story. Cause I think that's a, a great example of, uh, just the value of having good teammates, good people around you. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a story from high school, um, also soccer related. And I talked about how when we were in high school and we had preseason and we had fitness tests and everything that we um, had to do during tryouts. And so we would like practice for tryouts or practice, I'm sorry, practice the fitness tests in the weeks and the months leading up to tryouts. And so the one I remember specifically, it was like the tough, well, it was one of the toughest ones, um, was to run three miles in like a specific amount of time. And so everyone in the program who wanted to make any team in high school had to run the, the fitness test and you could make any team no matter what your time was. But in order to play a game on the varsity team, you had to pass the fitness test. Like you had to get the certain amount of time. Um, awesome. And so obviously you want to make sure you pass and you want to make sure you're prepared. So we're practicing like as a team in the weeks leading up to the fitness test and the tryouts. Um, And I think that element of having to pass the fitness test in order to play, um, I wanted to do it like for my own pride and not to, you know, fail and meeting my goals, like for my own personal reasons, I wanted to make it. But when you throw in that element of realizing like, wait, no, I need this girl to pass because I don't want to play the game without her on the field. Because Mm -hmm. like, this three miles might be kind of tough for her, but she's like a really good soccer player and we really need her on the field. And I think that's a really good, a really good metaphor for friendships now. Um, Just recognizing like, Hey, I know this is tough, but like, we need you. Like we, we don't want to play the game without you because you're really, really important for this game that we're going to play. And so what we would do, I remember like the first time this happened, I was just like floored. I thought it was the coolest thing. Um, Whenever we would run, the practice fitness tests, we would do like the first mile and the second mile and kind of keep track of our time. And the last like half mile, quarter mile of the test is when it was like, okay, like you either need to pick it up and you're going to make it, or you're going to kind of like falter and you're not. Right. And so, um, (laughs) I, like I've been on both ends of this where I was kind of having a little bit more, um, more trouble and I needed some encouragement to finish, or, you know, it was like an easier day of running and I was doing great. So, um, like on those days, whoever it was that was having a tough time finishing, the other girls who had already finished and then, you know, had gotten a, a drink of water and a break or whatever would be keeping time for the girls who like needed to make it and they were cutting it close. And so they would go back um, and they would start running with the girl to finish the race with her. And the closer it got, they would like not just run with her. Like that's one thing is to, to run alongside somebody, but they would like grab her shirt sleeves And then a girl would be behind her, like pushing her in the back, um, kind of like lifting her up. And then again, like the two girls on the sides pulling her shirt sleeves. And so by the time she crossed the finish line, like that girl was not, all she had to do was like stay upright. Like, because if she (laughs) didn't, like she would fall, like she was literally being pulled. Um, And it wasn't because they like didn't like her or they were, they wanted to put her through suffering or anything like that. It was just this realization of like, Hey, like I'm your teammate and my job is to make sure you cross the finish line because it's Mm. going to be good for you to meet your goal. And it's going to be good for the team because we really need you on the field when we play. Uh, And so I think that 
like so important in sports, but at the at the end of the day, like soccer is literally like kicking a rubber ball like into a net. Like we go crazy over like kicking this like rubber ball into a net. And so if we can learn how to do something like that for soccer, once we figure out what really matters in the rest of our life, like that's what friends are for. Like that's what friendships are supposed to do or supposed to like grab you by the shirt sleeves and like pull you along until you cross the finish line, not just for yourself, but because like there are other people who need you for game day. Right. Which is what we're trying to find. Amen. Yeah. It's so important to recognize. I think that good friends push you and challenge you and that bad friends don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the things I think is so important for people to recognize and for people to really just evaluate is like you need a deep self-awareness of like what team you're on yeah, and what role you're playing on that team. You mm-hmm. know, some people are on like LeBron way back in the Cavs and they're just like really outperforming their teammates and they mm-hmm. surround themselves with people that are just not going to get them to the championship, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have people who are really kind of the slacker on the team and their mm-hmm. social circle or their friend group or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's not that, you know, like sometimes we need some stoicism in our lives where it's like, this isn't good or bad. Like we don't need to like beat ourselves up or like overpraise ourselves and get cocky, but like just understand where you're at right? and understand who's around you. And are your people that are in your life really challenging you, pulling you forward, you know, pushing you forward just by their example and what they're doing, but mm-hmm. also sometimes with their words, yeah. you know, like so I need rebuke sometimes. Like I have people who call me out and it's uncomfortable and it's not fun, you know, but they challenge me to say, hey, are you really doing all that you can do? Are you really trying to be your best? Right. And just being humble enough I think, to allow people to do that. Yeah. It's so important. And just being able to laugh at yourself and like shake off some of your mistakes and yeah. stuff that you have is yeah. so key. But yeah, I think, it, I mean, it's just so important for people to realize the the extreme benefits to having good friends and good teammates on this on this journey of life. But yeah. Of what what would you say like what what do you describe as a good teammate now like obviously it's it's very easy I think to recognize what's a good teammate in soccer or in basketball or football mm-hmm. somebody who's just good at their position right like somebody yeah. who's better than the opponent at their position yeah but how do you describe somebody who's a good teammate in life mm-hmm. I think like you said self awareness is really important you know it's good to know like if I'm like trying to find good friends I have to know myself first and know like where I'm strong and where I'm weak right. Um, to know how that's going to work with other personalities and other people. Um, and to know when I, I need to find friends that are going to pull me along and to know where I'm going to be the one pulling someone else along, because I think we play both roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but after you're self-aware, I think it's easy in like high school and college and it's easy in school to listen to other people because you're in school. Like that's what you're there to do is to like, you sit and you listen and you learn. And that's like, your occupation is like listening and learning things but after you graduate like there's really not much of an expectation for you to listen anymore it's kind of like do whatever you want like you can be whoever you want to be you graduate like you learned it all like you're good to go and so I think (laughs) if I'm looking for friends now it's going to be like who are the people who listen um because if I'm going to be a good friend to someone else, I need to be self-aware of what I can offer, but I also need to be aware of what they need and where they are. And a lot of that takes listening mm. and listening to the things that they're saying, but also paying attention to the things that they do. And um, so I think someone who's like self-aware and someone who's good at listening um, because we do a lot of, t- like, I think the older we get, the more talking we do because the more we feel we know. Right. Um, but if we're able to kind of like slow down and listen a little bit, I think those are the people who, are always going to be want, always going to want to be a better friend because just because their normal habit is mm-hmm. wanting to be a better person because they're always listening and learning. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the humility that it takes to listen instead of speak is, is huge. Yeah. And it, I mean, just how beautiful it is to have like the, you know, Aristotle talks about the, the pinnacle of friendship being those virtuous friendships where you both are, you know, doing, you know, like what Proverbs says about iron sharpening iron mm-hmm. and one man sharpening another. Right. And I mean, th- those like you have the, I, for a lot of people, you have maybe like three to five of those friendships actually in your lifetime, right. you know, yeah. and I think I've been limited in how many I've had, but when you find them, I mean, it's worth it and mm-hmm. it's super awesome. But yeah. the self-awareness, I think what you hit on is really important and the importance of kind of balancing yourself out, you know, like so many times you want to surround people with who or surround ourselves with people who are exactly like us, mm-hmm. but similar to the sports thing is like, when you're looking for a teammate, like you're not looking, like LeBron's not looking for another LeBron, mm-hmm. you know, like LeBron needs a good point guard. He needs yeah. a good big man. Like he, mm-hmm. you have to kind of build, build your team around, around your strengths and around 
um, you know, where you can kind of fill each other's needs, you yeah. know, and I think that you can really have, obviously, like I have friends who are very similar to me, mm-hmm. but I would say we probably would qualify as a friendship where we're a little bit different. Right. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree with that. I don't think we're quite the same person. <laughs> a, a few differences here and there. Mild, mild personality differences, <laughs> mild pro- personality differences for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just what a blessing, you know, just your friendship and just thinking about writing the letters and, and mm-hmm. talking to each other about those things right, and yeah. the things that I, I've learned from you and just being able to see your patience with people and the way that you make people feel better, the way that you listen to others. And you're like, your your like subtle insights. I always tell you, you know, like you always have like these like dope little thoughts that you don't say unless we call on you, you know, at work. And then you have like these great ideas and things that come out, which I think is really cool. And so it's been, yeah, just awesome to get to, to be your friend over the last year. Um, and just like have that great example of somebody who's virtuous that helps me to see things differently and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we are, are a good example of that, of, of doing the, a good amount of talking right. and a good amount of listening. Yeah, for you know, sure. And you get to really see the benefits of it. So yeah. that is awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's thank been you, great having Nathan. you today. It's been great to be here. It's fun. Uh, it's fun hearing your thoughts on all of these things because I know, um, you know, obviously soccer has taught me a lot and it's cool to hear from the, the Rangers, Ranger school perspective, because that's mm. like such a larger, like the, there's meaning behind both, but the meaning behind that touches so many different lives. And so it's cool to hear you talk about that. Um, because you can compare them, but not really because they're, they're two totally different things. So it's cool to hear your perspective and your opinions on that. Great. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's awesome to hear from your perspective as well, you know, as a dear friend and just the, the perspective of an, a, of an athlete is, is very valuable when it comes to all this and your setbacks, especially, you know, having lived the, uh, your, your foretold nightmare of the back-to-back oh I think I probably made it sound more dramatic than it actually was. That's perfect. That's what we're looking for. Ironic. I'm all about the drama. There you go. Yeah, you know that. And so great. It's been great having you today. And if you want to hear more or read more, I would highly encourage you to read more Tori Sanders' writing. We have uh, several blogs of Tori's on our website at thosewhoseek.org. And then Tori also has her own blog. I do. Yes. Yeah. So I have um, a website. It's www.untilifiguresomethingelseout.com. So um, super existential crisis there, but uh, <laughs> Um And then the same um, handle on Instagram. Yes. So go and read Tori's writings. She's an incredible writer, very gifted. And so look out for more Tori Sanders on Seeking Excellence stuff. She'll be, she'll be writing more for us and then we'll have her back on the podcast, I'm sure, and be doing some stuff on Instagram together as well. So yeah, thanks sure. again, Tori. Thanks, Nathan.